We've been talking about worship a little bit and what worship is all about. So we talked about this sudden worship last week, which you find yourself all of a sudden in worship. Hopefully today you weren't just suddenly finding yourselves outside of our building and said, oh, I think I'll go in. But that uh, you might have planned to be here and said there is a time to worship God. And uh, so you came on purpose. And I think that's what happens more often than anything else is we come on purpose because of this. And so it's being able to worship God. And so today we want to talk a little bit about humble worship and about what that means. I don't know that I have any earth-shattering great things to be able to tell you that's new today. And yet, I think if we can just get this simple thing down, this is what makes all the difference. Jesus does tell a story about two people who came. Thank you, John, for preaching half of my sermon. (laughs) So, since he's already done that... um, Now, there are two people. One is a Pharisee standing by himself, it says. I don't know why he's standing by himself. Maybe he's separated from the others, away from everybody else. Uh, Feels like he's got a special place. But he prays with himself, and so he, he says, I'm thankful I'm not like everybody else. I'm not as bad as some other people. That means he's had a good week. Did you have a good week this week? Things went pretty good, pretty smooth. I mean, you didn't run over anybody on the road. You didn't even cuss anybody out this week. It's been a good week, right? And so things have gone along. Not a lot of sin, you know, some always, but, you know, that people would have to look pretty hard to find it. So you can say, you know what, I did great this week. Not a lot of bad habits jumped out, and so... Uh, you know, I think I did pretty good. And so I think that's where this guy is. He's able to say that uh, I, I'm glad I'm, I, I've had a good week. It's, it's not like all these other people. that, And he must know some of these people or else he just has decided to pick on certain things, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and then tax collectors that cheat like that guy. And he even has a guy in his sights and maybe that's why he is standing by himself because he doesn't want to stand too close to that guy. And not only has he not done things wrong, he's done some things well. He says, I've, I've fasted this week. How many of you fasted this week? Okay, we just got a couple of people. Maybe next week. So... We're not even as good as this guy yet. So how many fasted this week? He says, I've fasted, I've given tithes, we just passed the collection. Hopefully something was given there that you could say, okay, God, this is everything that I feel I need to give to you. And it is given freely. And it is exactly what you have asked. And so we don't have to worry about that and say, God, I hope it's enough. I mean, I know you bless me a lot. And we don't have to feel bad about it, that you gave exactly. Because God does set it down. He says, you know, here's what I want. And okay, just do that. You feel good about it then. But he says, I'm thankful that I worked hard. I'm proud of myself. And he 
says, I've really tried hard this week to do good. And he succeeded. He is officially a good person. And sometimes that's all we think Christianity is, is I have achieved the level of being a good person. Because that's hard enough in our day and time, isn't it? Just trying to get to where we're a good person, not a person who messes up a lot, but just trying to be where we're okay. But the goal isn't just to be a good person. But he feels pretty good about himself. He can walk out of worship and say, you know what, I was there, I connected with God. Uh, I feel good about God and God should feel good about me. Because after all, I've done a pretty good job for him. And we can look back on our behavior that week and say things were good. Tax collectors not quite the same way. Both of them are in prayer. Tax collector can't even lift up his eyes. Can't even he's had a horrible week. I don't know what it is that's happened to him that week, but maybe it's something that has happened that is so devastating to him that he feels very distant from God. Or or maybe he just, you know, has really messed up and he got really angry at somebody and he blew up at someone and says, you know what, I, I really don't deserve to have a God like that. One that forgives me when I don't forgive others. And he says, I've done so many things wrong and, and yet he still comes before God. I think that's important to recognize. He still does come before God. He didn't just skip out and say, oh well, you know, I was bad this week so I'm just not even going to show up. At least he shows up and he knows he's messed up and he knows he's sinful and Maybe he hasn't even tried hard this week and he sold out. He works for the other side, you realize. He works for the Romans and the only way he can make money is to cheat and so he does. He can legally cheat and if that's even a right concept. And I'm always struck by this when we realize that there are those times when we can say, yeah, this was a horrible week. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But then what if the week wasn't that bad? Do you still say that? And I think what he's really getting at here is how do we get ourselves, what if it's not a recent mistake? What if I didn't just sin? What if I did a lot of good things this week? Could Paul ever pray this prayer? Or does Paul have to say, you know what, it's been great. We started three new churches. We baptized, you know, 500 people and everybody's coming and it's doing great. But be merciful to me, a sinner. Which one of those do we want? What is worship? What's worship really about as we begin to think about it? And what if it isn't a new mistake? What if this has been a long time and he's still asking God for mercy, not necessarily for the big sin that he committed that week, but just because of the greatness of God? And just because God is so huge and God is so great and God is so far beyond anything that He could be or any place where He is, He says, God, the only thing I can see about myself, even though it's been a great week and You have supported me so much and I've been able to stand for You, 
just be merciful to me as a sinner. Because I know that's all I've got. There's no bragging rights before God. There's nothing that I can say I accomplished for you. Or is just be merciful to me, the sinner, because I'm not good because I recognize the greatness that you have. Oddly enough, Jesus says the second one was justified. Not the first one. Not the first one who's done well, who talks about his behavior. And that's what we would want, after all. How do you judge a successful church? It's one where, okay, everybody comes and they basically do what they're supposed to and we all behave, right? No. That really isn't it. I mean, yes, I want you to behave. I'm not saying that. But at the same time, it's that we would come and worship to God and realize the distance between us and Him and that it is such a huge distance. And that as much as He's forgiven of us our sins and as much as He's taken away from us that we still have so far to go to be able to get there. And worship is always about the greatness of God. It's never about us or us coming. It's always about our need for grace. And He gives us the principle that everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And that principle is always true. It may take a little while. Because I think we struggle with this sometimes because we think the one who exalts himself, sure enough, everybody else looks up to him and says, yeah, he did great. And if you look in the world around us, sometimes it is like that. But that's not how it works in the long run. And there's no need for us to exalt ourselves. We let God do it. So what's the difference in the two men? Well, the difference is one is confident in himself of his own righteousness and one knows that he needs mercy. We're all sinners. Neither one of them would have claimed, oh, I never sin. But one is so intensely aware of his need. Sometimes we learn to dodge the blame and say, well, it wasn't quite my fault. There's other people in it and that's why it happened. And But I think there is this deeper dimension of how lost we are compared with how saved we can become in realizing what God does to us. And the person trying to be good and achieve his own behavior as a goal probably loses it because it's not about us being good. It's not about us being impressive. It's not about us pretending so that people will think we're okay. This is God will exalt him because he humbles himself. And that's the reason for it, because he humbles himself. God lifts it up. It has nothing to do with his sin whatsoever. Whether his sin is big and it's been a good week or his sin is small and it's not been a good week or whichever way it is, it has nothing to do with his sin. It's about the fact that he humbled himself and so God will lift up because he put himself in a place where God can do all of that. And we find that this opposite reaction is found all through Scripture. In the beginning of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, as you look at when Jesus goes up and first starts teaching his disciples, it says, And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And right away, the first two, you're already confused, all right? Because it's like, what? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Well, we understand that's the person who's not proud in himself, the person who is humble, the person who is blessed as the person who doesn't lift himself up. And then the person who cries a lot, who mourns. Mm, how can you get to, you know, when we're supposed to be praising and rejoicing that the person who cries a lot is the one who's blessed? Well, that's not what it's saying. I think Jesus is indicating the person who feels deeply and intensely enough to realize that he mourns over his own sin. And that's what he's trying to describe here, that that it isn't just a, oh yeah, I did that. Okay, let's forget about that. And let's just go on from here. But that he does mourn over his own sin and it affects him deeply so that it makes a difference in who he is. It's personal. And we can feel it rather than ignore it. It's not just trying to make sure we come to a list of rules and that we've done it all, but that it is something that's very, very personal. So let me just ask you, how do you approach God today? Is He the afterthought? Well, you know, it's a habit. I come to church on Sunday because people are expecting me. You know, there's a certain spot in a certain pew that I have to sit in. And if I don't sit in that certain spot in that certain pew, people are going to know I wasn't there. And they're going to say, well, what happened to you? Because after all, you're supposed to be in this certain spot in this certain pew. There are assigned seats. If you didn't get in your assigned seat, thank you for filling in for someone else. No, that's not really how it works. But sometimes it's just a matter of doing the things that we think we're supposed to do without really paying attention. We were already in the car before we even thought about worship today. Sometimes it's just, well, I'm doing my duty. That's what I'm supposed to do. I mean, God said we're supposed to do it, so we're going to do it, right? We have to do it. And it's nothing but our duty. It's not real personal. We have to fill all the elements of worship. So Mike's got the singing and Jeff had the communion and we're already... Three quarters done, right? We're getting closer. I don't think it's ever to accomplish worship. Worship has got to be personal. It's got to be what happens inside. And sometimes we're restrained because Mike's leading old songs. Old songs? Really, Mike? It's like, come on, have... But, you know, Mike's pretty good at singing old songs, and so he brings us right along with him, and you're not going to drag with him. I mean, you better keep up. So he pulls you into the worship with God. And sometimes we get here and we realize, well, yeah, Jesus died on a cross for me. And we've heard it so many times, it just it loses its tragedy. And we keep the emotion out of it. And there's a very familiar story I want to tell you. It's one that you already know, but it's one that I find very fascinating in Scripture. 
It's in Luke 7 and verse 36. It's the story about the Pharisee, Simon, and a woman. And I want you to look at the difference in how these, these two people respond to God. It says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. They had already said she was a sinner. And so the, the setting is Simon has asked Jesus to come over for dinner, and uh, it's going to be good for both of them, good for Jesus to be seen with one of the leaders of the Pharisees. After all, that's a good thing for him. Um, one of the more recognized officials, Simon, can afford it. He's bringing Jesus in. It's good for community service. It's good for image. It's you know he's having the you know the new Messiah over. I don't know if he's had other messiahs over, but you know he's got the new Messiah coming over, and so it's going to good be a good thing for both of them. It's kind of the afterthought. It's not not really worship, right? Because it's not on a Sunday, so. But there's no real recognition of Jesus or of his greatness or of who he is or is he even Messiah? Maybe there's certainly no praise for God given in this. It's, it's not really personal. And so he comes and he does what he needs to do. We'll have dinner. First course. And Simon is all of those things that we talked about that are the not good side. He's restrained in his heart. Jesus is kind of the afterthought. It's not personal for him at all. Uh, he's kind of calculating, I guess I need to do this because I'm a community figure and so we would do this. But he doesn't show a great deal of respect for God or for Jesus. And then the woman comes completely uninvited. She's a woman from the city. It says she's a sinner. Simon says she's a sinner. Everybody knows she's a sinner. She brings with her this flask of ointment, this perfume that smells good. And so she plans to come to Jesus. This is not an accidental, sudden thing. She plans to come uninvited and she could get rejected. And when she comes to him, she sees him and... The tears come. She's just overwhelmed. Here he is. This is Messiah. This is Son of God. And she recognizes her place and who she is, and everybody knows her. I'm the sinner. Glad she volunteered. And this guy's the Son of God. She begins to weep as she realizes her own sinfulness. And she's standing there at his feet, so she wets his feet, which are dirty. And, of course, dirt and uh, tears and water don't mix well without making some kind of muddy mess. And so now she's got a whole mess. And so she 
lets her hair down and uses her hair to wipe his feet. And she kisses his feet because he is precious, because he's important. She finally anoints his feet with the perfume. And she, everyone can smell the perfume. Everyone knows she doesn't belong there. But here she is. She came to do this. She planned to do this. And now she's doing it. And she's just been kind of like that. She's pretty rebellious all the time anyway. And so she's going to do this for Jesus. And she finds herself so completely wrapped up in who Jesus is. Physically and emotionally, she can't stop the tears or her love for him or her heart, which is now open. And she anoints his feet with the perfume and the smell goes out. And now, well, now what do you do? You're just sitting there and, okay, now it gets kind of awkward. And Simon is like, well, you know, this shouldn't be going on in my house, but... You hate to throw the poor girl out. And so he's feeling like, well, Jesus should have done something and said, you know, don't, don't touch me. And so Jesus may not be as quite as good as he thought. And oddly enough, Jesus is the one who breaks the silence. And he talks to Simon about two debtors. One owed a lot, one owed a little, one owed 50 denarii, which is not a whole lot. It's what you make in a day is one denarii. And the other is 500, man. That's, that's a few years worth of wages, if you want to put it that way. And so Jesus tells him this story about these two guys who owed so much debt and uh, neither could repay. And he forgives them both. And then the oddball question... Which one will love him more? Well, is it a math question? Is it an emotion question? And so we just turn it into a math question. Well, I guess the one whom he forgave more. And so if there was more to be forgiven, there maybe ought to be a little bit more noted. It ought to mean more to you that he forgave all of that. It's not just a small thing. And he says, you're right. And then what happens next is amazing. And it's so hard to catch how all of this is doing it, and I would have to do it with each person. And so let me just see if we can just talk our way through this this morning. Because it's the way in which he describes this. It says, then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon... So he's turned toward the woman and he's talking to this person. His attention is absolutely, completely focused on the woman. But his conversation is not about the woman. His conversation is about Simon. And so he turns toward the woman and he stares straight into her face, straight into her eyes and says, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, staring right in her face. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. 
You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, as he looked straight into her face, Still, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table began to say among themselves, Well, who is this who even forgives sins? And still looking straight at the woman, he said, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I doubt Simon ever saw the woman. I mean, there was somebody there who's making a mess over there at the end of where Jesus is sitting and they're just, you know, they brought in perfume. And yeah, it's good perfume. It's expensive. After all, she can afford it. She's the center of the city. And all of this that goes on, the tears, those are not usually silent. And her hair is kind of wet and kind of dirty and the kissing that has anointed his feet and... Then Jesus, still talking to Simon, is still looking at her. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. What do you say to something like that? Do you ever wish Jesus would say that to you? Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Well, did you bring the perfume this morning? You see, if you didn't bring the perfume, then I'm not sure you're going to get that. Or did you bring the tears this morning? Or did you bring the kiss this morning? Or did you bring the emotion that goes with this of realizing I am sitting in the presence of the Son of God? And it makes a huge difference to me that He is here. And that I can realize my own sinfulness. And that I can see who I really am. And what kind of worship would we have? This is, well, we did it right. I mean, we we can go through, what, five steps and five acts and five fingers and five... Well, we did it right. Let me suggest to you, if you didn't come with the right attitude, we didn't do it right. And we can do all the stuff that we were supposed to have done. And if it never hit your heart, then you never humbled yourself today in worship before God. We didn't do it right. It's got to get there. Worship is not about the end. We are not accomplishing worship. It has to be personal. It's fragile. We can't force worship. And the cry of worship is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's what she says. And the next cry is, God, be merciful 
to that guy who's a sinner. And we call that discipleship. And we share it with somebody else. And so we need this kind of attitude when we would make ourselves humble before God, when we would recognize our own sin, when we would see His greatness and realize the Messiah, the Creator, God of heaven and earth, and we sit before Him today. And we came on purpose. But sometimes it's so hard even to focus. I saw this. It's a rewording of Psalm 5.3. Every morning I lay out the pieces of my life on the altar and wait for your fire to fall on my heart. Do you feel like God heard you this morning? sure he did how do you feel about what you brought did you bring the good week it was great it was a good week yeah we did good or did you bring the sadness of oh I messed up so bad this week or did you just bring the fact that you know what here's where I am God and but whatever you brought, God is always here and ready to listen and willing to listen. He says, that's the whole reason I sent my son is so that you're able to come to me and worship and so that I'm able to bless and I'm able to give grace. And as you lay your heart on the altar, it becomes the sacrifice for me. And we realize this is what it means to connect with God. And so where are you today? Maybe you came and, okay, good service. We got done. Let's get out of here because we don't want to stay too long. Or did you really connect with God? If we can help you do that in some way, if you need to be baptized into Christ, if you need to repent of sins, if you need to make a connection with God, if you just need prayers, I would encourage you to be able to pray to God after we do this song. But I would encourage you, if you need everybody else to know about it, that you would come up and let the elders know so that they can pray as well. It's a time for worship. Thanks, Mike, for leading us in the songs that we've had. Thanks for us bringing it before God. And today, one more song as we sing before God. Will you stand and sing with me?